You are listening to Rumination Tuesday on Law and Gospel on this May the 4th in the year of our Lord 2021. And we're taking a look at a wonderful hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. This hymn, written by Martin Luther, so we don't have to talk too much about who he is, it set the Reformation gospel before the common people on the wings of a song as a remarkably clear and complete summary of the Lutheran doctrine of justification by grace through faith. It's found in 1524 and was Martin Luther's second hymn. The English translation is based mostly on the work of Richard Massey, who died in 1887. And in his particular work, he did quite a wonderful translation. Some of his translations are stilted and not as well done, but this translation is one of his finest. It's been used in the Missouri Synod hymnals since 1889. The tune originates with Martin Luther and Stanzas three and six are interesting because they are translated by our good friend, Catherine Winkworth. But how many stanzas are there? In the hymnal we use, there are 10 of them. Are you going to use this hymn, Mark Smith? Absolutely. It's going to be the opening hymn. But we're going to do just, uh, yeah, you probably won't agree with this. We're going to do, let's see, one through four, and then we're going to do the sixth verse as the opening hymn. One through four and six? And six. I mean, you know, it's it's tough to drop any of the verses because they're all so good. Yes. So what we're doing is the opening hymn, believe it or not, is stanzas one to four. Just, just one more. Mm-hmm. The sermon hymn is stanzas five through ten. Uh huh. Sure. That's that's one way of doing it. Yep. Get all the ten. verses in that way. Yes, ten verses, and so it's going to be very interesting. It is the hymn of the day for this Sunday of Easter. So now you said ten- this was this was his second hymn. Was his first hymn "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." No. What was his first hymn? His first hymn that uh, we know that he wrote was uh, another ballad-type hymn, and the name of that was A New Song Here Shall Be Begun. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. And so it was found uh, also earlier than this one. Okay. Without further ado, stanza one. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice with exaltation springing and with united heart and voice and holy rapture singing. Proclaim the wonders God has done, how his right arm, the victory won, what price our ransom cost him. Yes, this is often recognized as him as a wonderful summary of what Luther learned as he went through the scriptures. 
and he was rejoicing when he read, of course, about this wonderful hymn. It's kind of interesting to keep in mind that this introduction, justification, is the source of Christian joy. Uh, For example, that joy came about, if you remember, with the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip baptized, and he explained to him that passage in Isaiah, and it says he had great joy. And so all Christians, one and all, can rejoice with this wonderful good news. The one word I think we would want to look at, it says, and holy rapture singing. What does rapture refer to then? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think of the word, I don't know if you agree with this. Don't ask me to define this word. Uh, exuberance, holy exuberance. Yes, that's a good word. Yes, where you're really excited about something, like uh, you may ask uh, when you ask your wife to marry you, and she said, yes, you were exuberant. Right. Oh, were you? I sure was. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's later on that the wives are no longer exuberant, but that's another problem. (laughs) Yeah, um, that's very good. Exuberant. Really happy. In fact, that was the attitude of the shepherds. It was the attitude of the wise men. It was the attitude of Simeon. It was the attitude of Anna. And, of course, it was the attitude of the disciples on the night of the resurrection when Jesus walked in and said, peace be with you. So Luther is now going to explain kind of what he went through. I'll read two. Fast bound in Satan's chains I lay. Death brooded darkly over me. Sin was my torment night and day. In sin my mother bore me. But daily deeper still I fell. My life became a living hell. So firmly sin possessed me. Now, is that law or gospel? Yeah, that's the law. I mean, that's... Absolutely. He was absolutely under the law there. When he realized, in sin, my mother bore me. You know, Psalm 51, verse 5, that we were conceived in sin, even. Yes, If you were going to put down all the Bible verses this hymn was, you'd have about 40 of them. I suppose so, yeah. But how was sin his torment night and day? What did he try to do to get rid of sin? Well, you're talking about Luther personally? Yes. Oh, he, uh, you know, he would, uh, you know, he'd he'd punish himself and... uh, Exactly. Uh, you know, the, I know in the Luther movie, it shows his uh, father confessor, uh, uh, John Staupitz, uh, hearing him in his cell, in his uh, in his room, just, you know, just, you know, just uh, being assailed by Satan and and uh, hating, hating himself because uh, because he realized what a miserable sinner he was. 
he also came to the point of hating God. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, God says, be righteous. And that's how he thought he was going to be saved. And he knew it was impossible to be righteous. Exactly. So he hated God for that point. And, and he longed that's for a loving God. Yes. He, he longed for the gospel. The gospel had been so so hidden and obscured in the medieval church that uh, uh, you know, there, there was no hardly any gospel there. Exactly. So terribly tainted. With the whole idea of good works, right. which the next stanza talks about. Go ahead. Okay. My own good works all came to naught. No grace or merit gaining. Free will against God's judgment fought. Dead to all good remaining. My fears increased till sheer despair left only death to be my share. The pangs of hell I suffered. There you go. That's that's how he that's how he felt before he discovered the gospel. Yes. And the reason we want this hymn to be sung is that there's no doubt that there will be members in the church who feel this way about that's their right. sin. That's right. That's right. Yes. That's why, you know, there's a lot of hurting people out there. You know, I've heard this yes. many times. A lot of hurting people. And that's why we really have to prepare as pastors. We have to prepare a really a rich banquet of law and gospel and be heavy on the gospel. We want our people, you know, they're hurting because they, they're, they're out in the, in the rough world and they've heard, well, I'm, I'm substandard, my work is not adequate, and I'm not a very good husband, I'm a less than adequate father. And, you know, they're faced with that day after day at work or wherever or at school, even young kids. You know, they face, uh, sometimes face failure and defeat and, uh, and they come to church, they need to know that they're of infinite value because of the holy, precious blood uh, spent by, by Jesus for their redemption. They need, to, they need to walk out of that church every day uh, knowing that they are forgiven and loved and accepted by our dear Heavenly Father. And they're precious beyond worth now that they're uh, saved with His holy, precious blood. Luther often begins an explanation of his commandments we should fear, love, and trust in God. And he talks about that. My fears increased till sheer despair left only death to be my share. And that's what a lot of people are worried about. Are they good enough? If you start a sermon with this question, are you good enough to go to heaven? You're not going to have hardly anybody put their hand up and say yes. Because they confuse law and gospel. Right. And being good enough, they can't understand that God regards them as good enough. They think they have to talk about their works. And when they look to their works, that's where the fear of God comes in. And that's a good fear because it reminds you that there's a dividing wall of hostility that you have set up between yourself and God. And that is because of your sin. Yeah. And people so, need to know. People need to know that Christ has blasted through that wall of hostility, and and made the way to the heavenly Father for them. And that's what stanza four does. But God had seen my wretched state, 
before the world's foundation, and mindful of his mercies great, he planned for my salvation. He turned to me a father's heart. He did not choose the easy part, but gave his dearest treasure. And what's his dearest treasure? His beloved son. Yes. So note that Luther talks about this as something that was happened from before the foundation of the world. Right. That's right. It was eternally planned in eternity already. Yes, we find that in the book of Ephesians. And God sees our wretched state. You know, people often wonder, well, if God knew this was going to happen, why did he create the world and put Adam and Eve in it, knowing that they were going to fall into sin? And I remember a priest had given six other ways in which God could have done creation. And he ended up with the conclusion that the best way was the way that actually happened. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, why did God... Why did God make this plan, knowing uh, that we would fall into sin? You know, that's you know, you, you just can't know that. There's just no. We just don't. We don't understand. We don't. We we can't go there. One of the. Uh, go ahead. The uh, readings for this Sunday all talk about God's love. Yes. And that's really remembering. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And that's what he had set up. And the way he did that, if you will read stanza five. Okay. God said to his beloved son, it's time to have compassion. Then go, bright jewel of my crown, and bring to all salvation. From sin and sorrow set them free. Slay bitter death for them that they may live with you forever. Boy, I tell you, that's a great verse, isn't it? Those, yes. Especially those, those last two verses. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's so rich. Yes, slay bitter death for them. How did Jesus slay bitter death for us? By his own death. Exactly. He became our substitute. Right. And therefore, to trust in Jesus means that he followed the mission of the Father and nobody killed him. He put himself to death at the appropriate time when all the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled and yeah. raised himself from the dead. And those words at the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they were doing. That's how he had slain our bitter death so that we can live with God the Father forever. Yeah, he actually had to will himself to die. He says, no man takes my life. I have the authority to lay it down and to, and to raise it up again. Um, so, so he actually had to will himself to die, being true God. And that is what was so surprising to the centurion. Yes. He said, truly, this man must be the son of God because he had power over death and life. Many people crucified wish that they could have died to stop the pain, but Jesus willed to die to stop our pain. And he cried with a loud voice, too. That's, that's, uh, 
unusual for a crucifixion victim. They usually died of asphyxiation, and yet Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That, too, uh, was convincing to the centurion. Yes, and convincing to us was also one of the words he said at the end, it is finished. Yes. That's right. Complete. And, and so, therefore, what we're doing with congregations, we're telling them if they think their works are going to make a difference, then they don't really believe it is finished. That's right. Yeah, they they have to they have to do something to help his work of redemption. They have to add to it somehow to finish the job. And that's yes. talk about a slap in the face of our Lord Jesus. Absolutely, who did indeed finish it. So there's no doubt that the Son obeyed the Father's will. If you'll read stanza six, the Son obeyed his Father's will, was born of virgin mother. And God's good pleasure to fulfill, he came to be my brother. His royal power disguised he bore, a servant's form like mine he wore to lead the devil captive. Yeah, we often you know, don't realize this that. Is, uh, you know, this coming Sunday, as, you, as I'm sure you remember, is also Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, that's one reason why I wanted to include that sixth stanza was born of virgin mother. Mother's Day. Mother's Day, yes. Well, there won't be many people going to restaurants, I don't think, yet. But, yeah, we're not seeing our family. One of the members came down with the virus and is isolated in, in home right now. And the rest oh. of the family can't go out either. Oh, is that right? But, Sorry yes. to hear that. So there's going to be a lot of celebration when all these things are finished. Uh, have you had your uh, shots yet? Uh, thanks for putting me on the spot, Tom, <laughs> again, for the second time. No, I haven't. I, we're working on that. Yeah. We go we're Friday for our second shot. Oh, you go Friday for your second shot? Yeah. Right. Now, did yeah. you get the, which kind did you get? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That uh, my my wife's a nurse. She knows all those things, and all I know is that we're going to be all done on Friday. Okay, stanza seven. To me, he said, "Stay close to me. I am your rock and castle. Your ransom, I myself will be. For you, I strive and wrestle. For I am yours, and you are mine. And where I am, you may remain." The foe shall not divide us. I love that verse. Don't you love that verse? Where Jesus is talking, you get the feeling he's talking right to you. You know, to, to, to his primary concern. He says, to me, he said, stay close to me. I am your rock and castle. Your ransom, I myself will be for you, I strive and wrestle. I mean, you know, he's, you get the feeling he is personally and individually concerned about your well-being, and he is not going to let anything touch you. And that's why he says, for I am yours, and you are mine. That's personal. Right. right. And where I am, you may remain. But Jesus isn't on earth anymore. So how can we oh, be yeah. with Jesus? Well, he's not visibly here, Tom. He's with us. 
to the end of time. You know, he's with us for all eternity. He's with us. Remember what he said to Mary Magdalene? He says, uh, you know, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. His point was, look, once I ascend to my father, I will be closer to you than ever. And exactly. uh, so he's with us even now, but just not visibly. And on the last day, he'll be that way visibly among us. Ephesians says that we have also not only been risen from the dead now, but we've also ascended into heaven because Jesus is our head. We're part of the body and he's at the right hand of God. So that's how we also uh, receive those wonderful good news. Yeah, the foe shall not divide us. All right. Stanza eight, please. Though he will shed my precious blood me of my life bereaving, all this I suffer for your good. Be steadfast and believing. Life will from death the victory win. My innocence shall bear your sin, and you are blessed forever. Now, my question to you is, who is the he in the first line? That's the foe in the last line. The foe shall not divide us, though he will shed my precious blood. So he's he's saying, you know, uh, well, you're probably going to disagree with that. No, there's no doubt that it's through the devil that his blood is shed, but it's yeah. also that the Father That's right. is the one behind that also. That's Remember, right. I, I, the Father sacrificed his son. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And again, you get personal. All this I suffer for your good. And then it doesn't say be steadfast and obedient. It says be steadfast and believing. Life will from death the victory win. So, cling to my promises. Well said. Yeah, that's where salvation comes about. All right, I'll read nine. Now to my father I depart from earth to heaven ascending and heavenly wisdom to impart the Holy Spirit sending. In trouble he will comfort you and teach you always to be true, and into truth shall guide you. So what events are spoken about in stanza 9? The ascension, let's see, the ascension and Pentecost. He says, uh, from earth to heaven ascending, and then yep. he talks about sending his Holy Spirit. So ascension and Pentecost. I'm trying to think. You know, Ascension is right around the corner. And then, of course, uh, Pentecost is soon thereafter. Yes. Coming up. Yes. And uh, that's where John the Baptizer's promise, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit also. Yes. And that's what we, and, and notice how the Holy Spirit is to comfort us. And he comforts us as we hear God's word and believe the promises from that word. Right. All right, stanza 10, please. What I on earth have done and taught, guide all your life and teaching. So shall the kingdom's work be wrought and honored in your preaching. But watch, lest foes with base alloy the heavenly treasure should destroy. This final word I leave you. Now, that's all in quotation marks. So, who's speaking? Well, I think that's Christ, right? Yes. 
Yes, uh, what I on earth have done and taught. Right. Remember um, the Matthew 28, go therefore and baptize all nations, teaching them whatsoever I have given to you. Yeah. So that's our mission also. And even though it says honored in your preaching, that word preaching can refer to anybody who's doing witnessing. Right. And, and, and so, you know, when Philip saw the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the Lord told him what to tell him because he was reading Isaiah. And a lot of Christians have excuses why they don't witness. Well, all they needed to have is this hymn in front of them. That's right. And just share the the message because this is a accurate, great summary of the Reformation teachings. That's right. We're not all pastors. We're not all teachers. Uh, we're not all uh, directors of management in the church, or anything, but we're all witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, he says. Yes. Well said. And you know what's interesting? This is, uh, look at the last, what's the last thing? This final word I leave you, that he says, watch, lest foes with base alloy this heavenly treasure. You know, this is typically sung at the time of the Reformation. And it's interesting because that's also preparing us. That's, that's the main theme of Advent, is watch. Be ready. Be ready for his, his return. It reminds us of what the Father said at the Transfiguration. Yes. What was that? This is my... Oh, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Yes. He adds the listen to Him that isn't found at the baptism. Right. But it's found at the Transfiguration. And that really touches that last um, sentence. This final word I leave you. Jesus is leaving us the word. If you continue in my words, you're truly my disciples, he says. Exactly. So I hope your congregation enjoys uh, singing this hymn or a part of it. And I know we'll be enjoying it. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel... We'll be doing a study that I think you'll find interesting. Tune us in at 9.30. I'm Tom Baker. This is Mark Smith. God bless you. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.